This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is The Process on Business Radio, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here is your host, Dean of Admissions, Eric J. Ferda. Hello and welcome to The Process on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are alive and live. I'm your host, Eric Ferda, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. And we're actually in New York City today. We are broadcasting live from Studio One at SiriusXM headquarters in New York. And I'm joined, as always, by my partner in The Process, Eileen cunningham Fikens who is the Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School in Englewood, New Jersey. Eileen, great to see you. Good to see you, too. Welcome to New York. Thank you. We actually met in New York, didn't we? We did. A college fair in Brooklyn. All those years ago, 30 years ago. Okay, I don't want to age myself on radio. It's radio. It's radio. They can't see you. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. So when we really think about the process, we always want to think of our listeners and where you are at this time of year. And we were thinking about this special edition of the process because we're in early decision, early action, some preferred deadline phase. And students and listeners, you've been hearing from these schools, and some of you may be waiting to still hear this week. Some students are out of school on break right now. Colleges are wrapping up their finals if those students aren't already home. But most importantly, Eileen, what do we need? What do we need? We need a lot of emotional support. Um, there are a lot of decisions that have rolled out for early decision schools and some early action schools, and there are a lot of kids out there who applied who are celebrating. And then there are some students who are still waiting to hear those decisions, and there are other students who heard news that made them not celebrate, made them anxious. And so I think what we need is we need to support each other in this process across the desk and, of course, support our students. And for our listeners, give us a call, 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866, or hit us up on Twitter, at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 111. Because, parents, we know that you're also going through this process, and as we were talking before, as Eileen and I were looking at the trees and going up through Rockefeller Center, we were thinking about, for parents, just where you're sitting in this process, and in some ways, early deadlines mean you just want this to get over with. Yeah. And not having it stretch out, but the reality is there there may be a longer stretch with regular decision. Also in the studio with us today is David Charlo. I'm thrilled to be back with him here in New York. We also connected first in New York when we used to work at Columbia University. David is a financial aid expert and the co-founder of AccessApplied.com, a company that provides information and support for high school counseling offices. So a resource for high school counselors and other professionals that help families figure out well, how to pay for college. David, great to have you here. Great to be here. And also a very special opportunity. We have a longtime uh, guest with us, a, a longtime friend as a guest with us, Tamar Adegbele, who is at the Kate School in California. And Tamar, thank you for changing your flight. You're going to take that later flight out to get back with your family for the holidays. So thank you for the time and, and spending it with us this evening. Great to be here. Thanks, Eric. So listeners, I'd like you to think about this. Uh, All four of us that are in the studio right now, uh, we have worked together in various parts of the process, some on the admissions and financial aid side, and in the case of Tamara and Eileen, on both sides of the desk. I'm looking across at Tamara right now, (laughs) Vassar College graduate, Vassar admission officer, worked at Columbia University in the city of New York, college counseling at Riverdale here in New York, Harvard-Westlake, and now the Kate School. So a wealth of information in addition to my co-host, Eileen cunningham Fiken. So please give us a call at 844-WHARTON. A special show coming up in the first half. After the first quarter, we're going to have Jeff Schiffman join us, and he's the director of admissions at Tulane University. And they have a process called Early Decision 2. So listeners, I think if you're thinking about some strategy around early decision and early action, Jeff Schiffman could certainly add some perspective. So 
we asked for this special show on the process because it was right around November 1, and at the University of Pennsylvania, we received just over 7,000 early decision applications. Last year was the first time that Penn went over 6,100 applications, and we see this continued growth. Now, the question usually is why? Why are we seeing this growth? What's really fueling it? And then what does that mean for students? And something that I blogged about in the middle of November was really trying to reach some of those students and families to say, don't wait until December the 18th if you're going to continue to work on college applications. Really use that time to continue to work on your essays so that you're not receiving news around now and then trying to decide, you know, what's that next step? What, 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 what action plan do I need to have? And so, Eileen, when you talk to your families and help cue them up, do you have any observations to the early process that you saw this year? You saw that Penn was up and some other places were up. What did you feel on your side of the desk? I saw almost all the schools with which we had conference calls, um, which we do regularly during the process, um, seem to have experienced growth in their early pools and projections for regular decision is also up. But Tamar, maybe you can confer or add in on this. I mean, what was your experience? Did you did you get that same message? Definitely. Um, every school that I've spoken with has expressed that they're up, up considerably. I remember Talking to Bowdoin College, who's up twenty five percent, which is you know, I mean, Insane. I don't know what you do with that. Uh, that's a huge increase in, in from one year to the next. So, definitely, we're seeing across the board. I I don't think I heard from one school that did not see. Uh, a pretty noticeable increase in applications this year. And frankly, even if it's a 2% increase, that's still an increase. But the second kind of boot that drops on that is not only are they seeing an increase in the number of applications, but almost to a school where the reports are that it's a stronger class or a stronger, pardon me, applicant pool. And so they're hoping to pull the strongest of the strongest out of that pool for their early decision or early action admits. And so it it just adds so much anxiety to every kid out there when they hear that. And many of these colleges are communicating with their applicant pool through emails and blogs, et cetera. And they might say, hey, you know, if you applied early decision, remember to check your portal. Decisions are being released on such and such a date just to give you some perspective. And they'll actually share some schools. You know, we we experienced a huge increase in applications and we're really excited. I don't think they understand how that's received by the students. That just ratchets up their anxiety. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, that's coming down the pike when right around the decision time. So it's sort of like, okay, what does that mean for me? Um, And and what we know as college counselors that freshman class sizes are not growing, um, that schools are being conscientious about what percentage of their class they're filling early. So with these increases, that's definitely kind of driving up the competition in early. And so from one year to the next, you know, one year an applicant based on the statistics looks great. And then the following year, it's totally different. And, you right. know, that student is in a different situation than their peers the previous year. So it's or really siblings. hard. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard, too. Yeah. And, you know, I've had experiences where a younger sibling might be as strong or perhaps even stronger in some regards. Obviously, it's a holistic process. It's not just the GPA and the SAT, but they might perform with a similar picture and they're receiving different news a year later. That's yeah. right. That's really hard to take. Yeah, definitely. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Give us a call, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Again, live here from New York City at Sirius XM's headquarters. When I think about the dynamic of the pool on each side of the desk, again, I had some observations right around our deadline. We're seeing the number of high schools in our applicant pool increasing. Now, mm. that may mean that a new charter school has opened up or some schools, this may be their first graduating class in some cities where some schools are opening up. You also see that on the international marketplace as well. Some schools that may not have been in your applicant pool ever or maybe not as frequently. So this this growth is really broad-based, but you know, the, the purpose of this, this this show is wherever you're sitting, you can be empowered. You can try to figure out, well, not just strategy, 
But let's not lose sight as counselors. What is it that we're really looking for? On page 217, I had the framework of the five eyes when you're thinking about yourself and thinking about your interests and ideas and how to construct a list. We also have uh, the four C's when we're thinking about, well, what's the culture of that school? What's the curriculum like? What's the community? And what are the conclusions? And so a question that I have for, for all of you, and David, please chime in here as well, is sometimes the strategy starts taking you off the rails a little bit. And how should we approach this? And then once there's perhaps negative news like a deny decision or maybe more neutral but not positive news like a defer, all of a sudden the game plan might unravel. It's like trying to change the game plan in the middle of a football game or basketball game. Sure. You probably still have to trust the process, right, a little bit. So what are your inflections about families coming to you when they do have some news and then how do they adjust or how do you help them adjust? Well, I think it starts initially with that formation of a college list for a student, right? So you're not just gunning for that one school. You really have to focus on um, helping a student craft a list which has breadth, which has some reach schools in it and some target schools where they might have a 50-50 shot. They're in the wheelhouse, but it's not a guarantee that they'll be admitted. And of course, schools where they might have a higher probability of admission, given what they're bringing to the table and what the typical applicant pool looks like for admits at that institution. All that information is available to students, whether online or from the college itself. They can look at that. But the issue is, it's not a formula. Right. So if a student has a certain GPA and a certain SAT and it, they feel that they're going to be coming in as an admit just because they have the SAT or the GPA or the ACT, that's not a guarantee. And so I think we're, we're constantly juggling back and forth or like foot in each camp, so mm -hmm. to speak, because we're trying to, you know, uh, be enthusiastic for our kids and to support them and to support their dreams and have them go for it. But we want them centered and we want them grounded. Tamar, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I mean, I think we always talk about sort of managing expectations and how you do that is really sort of having students think ahead about the what ifs, right? And it's okay to have really strong feelings toward one institution, but it's really important, um, even from the beginning, to have a range of schools, a number of schools that a student is feels good about, um, that they're excited about, and that they have a backup plan. You know, it's kind of like most things that you approach, you really don't sort of put all of your eggs in one basket, right? right? Isn't that a phrase that we sort of say, it's not a good thing to do? And I think the college process is similar. You really, it's it's not um, wise to put all of your eggs in, in one basket. And so, you know, as we work with students and trying to help them manage their expectations, I think oftentimes we have to help the parents too, because they sort of, you know, want to support their child and really encourage them and um, let them know that they're in their corner. But I think they sometimes have a difficult time helping the student to really branch out and think about a what-if option and some other backup just so that they are not caught off guard on December 15th and then, okay, now I've got to scramble to do all of this work when I hadn't really kind of mentally prepared for that. And I think just being prepared is the That's best right. approach. Yeah. I'm seeing certain trends and I'm sure you're seeing them too. I'm seeing many, many more schools taking at least 40%, of, if not higher, many schools are taking 50% of their entering class through early decision, which really puts on the pressure in regular decision. Tomorrow, you're seeing this as well, well, I'm sure. I mean, I'm seeing schools that, particularly schools that have maybe two rounds of early decision yeah. are taking upwards of 60% right. between those two rounds of, so a good portion of the class is filled, um, you know, by middle of January, early February. And so regular decision is, you know, really almost not an option for many right. students. Um, so early is definitely becoming uh, an in an increasing phenomena with schools, schools that didn't necessarily have an ED2 or adding it. Right. Um, schools are having EA, ED1, ED2, right. several <laughs> options. So that it's indicates like that, you know, enrollment management is really, um, at you know, at play here. And so I think that's something that, you know, helps to educate families about that, that it's not personal. And I think that's really an important thing for families to keep in mind that so when they receive a decision, um, it's not that they've rejected that student, um, but they've had to contend with things that are beyond that student's control and an applicant pool that is deep and wide and large. And um, that's why it really does help to have a, a backup plan or something yeah. else in place. I mean, Eric, you can speak to the fact that you have to answer to a lot of different 
voices out there. It's not just how compelling a particular applicant is. It could be who your coaches need. It could be um, directives you're receiving from the university itself about certain programs they're looking to expand or strengthen or maybe have a broader geographic range of population in your entering class. Can you speak to that for our listeners? Certainly. I mean, you have academic interests. We're educational institutions, so you have the faculty that want people within their own programs. I met with the fine arts program this year, the architecture program, thinking about some opportunities with design overall. What I think is interesting there is seeing some of the ways that maybe some academic programs are seeing how they can fit within what are some of the larger pieces that are happening with computer science, as Mm -hmm. an example, and having a design mentality. Well, we have a school of design, so this isn't exclusively computer science. We do see at Penn and I think at a lot of institutions, their sports programs are largely covered by their early plans, be it early decision or early action. And then all the way through to what I think is a more diversification of the applicant pool, even in early, and that is about 11% of our applicants were first-generation college students. So that message is getting out, I think, to a broader audience as well. I want to make sure that I say... Thank you to the College Board and ACT. They just announced this past week that students um, who have demonstrated need will not have to pay to have their scores sent to college. This is huge. And the main theme at our professional national um, conference this past fall, NACAC, was about accessibility and inclusion. And just for everyone out there, I am so thrilled that those decisions were made both by College Board and ACT because that is a, such a hurdle for so many applicants. So I wanted to make sure I got that in. Yeah. You're listening to The Process on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. Please give us a call, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And on our line, really a great opportunity, I think, for our listeners. I'm thrilled to welcome to the show Jeff Schiffman, who joins us online. He's been the Director of Admission at Tulane University for the last couple of years, and it's also his alma mater. And... You know, I I thought that I had an energy, but if you go to his blog and see a lot of the work that he does, he's fantastic. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Incredible to to hear your voice and and to follow, really, the advice that you're sharing with these individuals who are looking at Tulane, but I really appreciate your role as a broader educator because you really do seem to convey those messages through your blog and in other ways about the, the personality of the process and then also what would be a good fit at Tulane. And given that we are sitting on December the 18th right now, Penn posted their decisions last week. When did you post your decisions, Jeff? So we um, we offer both early action and early decision. So our early decision, uh, all those went out about about two weeks ago, and then all of our early action students will be hearing. Actually, letters have already left our office, so letters are kind of arriving today, tomorrow, and the next day, and all of our admitted portals will go live tomorrow. So we kind of want to. We we sometimes like to be a little bit old school. We like to see if we can get the letters there first. I kind of I kind of like the idea of going out to the mailbox and opening a letter over clicking a portal, um, but it'll kind of be a, a mix of both depending on where the student's located. So Jeff, this is Eileen. So it's Tulane Eve, basically <laughs> today. Right? It is Tulane Eve. Thanks, thanks for joining us, and particularly knowing that the work that, that you have ahead of you over the next 24 hours. And, Jeff, if you could help for our listeners, even the decision-making that if you're giving the group information session at Tulane in the month of July, and you're explaining early action, early decision, and then I'd also like to get into early decision, too, mm-hmm. but how do you help families differentiate those plans and what makes the best sense for them, and then also what you're achieving at Tulane? Yeah, I think I think we owe it to our families um, to be as candid as possible. So there is nothing kind of behind the curtain at Tulane. So we're very open about the fact that we do um, see a larger population of our students admitted in the early action rounds. So it's not necessarily that they have to apply early action, but we, we recommend it. We say that, that if Tulane's high on your list, if you know this is a place that you want to be, we'd recommend the early action round. It's non-binding, and we don't have an application fee at Tulane. So we, we kind of give this whole, you know, you've got nothing to lose if you know this is somewhere you think you want to be. Um, we're v- 
very candid about the, the benefits of early decision and, you know, what students need to know about that process, net price calculator, all that. But, I mean, I train my staff to say, you know, if you know you have a student that's got Tulane High on their list, um, you know, be very forthright about them, you know, recommending them applying in the early rounds. So, Jeff, um, I know Dave has some questions for you, but before um, he has a chance to do that, I just want to know um, what percentage of your entering class were admitted through early decision this year or will receive wonderful news um, either through early decision and early action? What are you hoping for? So our early decision pool comprised about 20% of our overall incoming freshman class. So about 20% of our incoming freshman class will have applied early decision. We do, as you mentioned earlier, we do also offer early decision two, and that deadline is in the beginning of January. So we still kind of wait and see how that pool will shape up. But we truly believe we don't ever want to be a school that's filling up, you know, 60, 70% of their class with students applying just early decision. Um, between early decision one and two, we don't know what the final number will be, but as I mentioned with ED one, it's just about 20%. Um, okay. Overall, the last class at Tulane that's, that's currently freshman right now, around 80% of that class did apply either early action or early decision. So um, it, it was a large portion, but again, keeping in mind early action is, is non-binding for us. And students who have currently submitted an early action application, I believe you said you sent something out, they can convert their early action to an ED2 if they've made the decision that Tulane is their top choice? That's correct. So for, for better or for worse, Tulane has um, become fairly popular over the last couple of years. And I, I don't ever, ever want to be that admission director that's you know, celebrating how many students we denied admission to. But we can't take every qualified student. We have a lot of great students that we know will be academically successful here. But we simply just do not have the room in, in our residence halls for them. So we do need to play the enrollment management game and, and whittle it down a little bit. So we do give the option for our students who have applied early action. If they are not admitted early action, but we know they'd be a good candidate academically, we defer them, and then they have until January 5th to decide if they'd like to switch to ED2. Okay. So unfortunately, the, the defer letters do arrive right around the holiday season, but luckily you have a solid two weeks to sit down with your family and say, you know, is ED2 right for us? Have we filled out the net price calculator? And then kind of as Christmas break, winter break wraps up, they can make that decision. Thanks so much for explaining all that. That's great news for our listeners. Yeah. And we try to be, I mean, like I said, one of the things that I, that I, do pride myself in as an admission director is 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 being candid and and everything is up on the blog there is nothing secret about Tulane I mean we we very much say here's what we're looking for here's where our numbers are at here's what my best suggestions are for you and you know sometimes students you know if I know a student's interested they're going to go on the blog they're going to do that additional research and then those are the ones that have the benefit of knowing hey maybe this is a good plan for me or maybe I should be doing x y and z right so so Jeff this is David and and you've now mentioned net price calculator twice which which I love (laughs) uh, because the issue of affordability is is critical, and it's especially critical for students making a decision to apply early, early decision, binding early decision. And unfortunately, if you read the newspaper, students are getting what I think is very bad advice about just avoiding early decision without, mm-hmm. without any investigation of cost. Mm-hmm. And schools like Tulane and Penn and others that are very generous with their need-based aid are excellent options for low-income students and middle-income students, upper-middle-income students, and, and you have good net price calculators by and large, generous policies, and transparency in your pricing. And I think that this huge increase in early, I mean, seriously, we have to, we have to be honest, a lot of it has to do with anxiety, but finally I'm seeing good news on the affordability front that, that it has some to do, something to do with students understanding that they can actually afford it. They don't have to exactly. plunk themselves in the regular pool so they can, quote-unquote, compare financial aid offers, which they might not get if they don't get into any right. of these schools. Exactly. So there's a difference between affordable and the very best package you could get. Exactly. And, and, and I really like the, 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 the trend I'm seeing right now with early. Right, and we do. I mean, we um, we we try to get as close as we possibly can to meeting full need. Unfortunately, we're not one of those schools that's able to meet 100% of full need, especially without loans, which I'm you know very jealous over. But we do we do work with families, especially our ED families, because we know those are the ones that want this, and so we want to find ways to creatively get this to make sure it's an affordable option. Um, even for example, this is this is our second year where we've had a multicultural fly-in, where we fly in all of our um, a lot of our students of color, a lot of our lower-income students, and we say you've you've an opportunity to actually compete for additional merit based scholarship once you get here. So we're trying to, to, to fill in the gap as much as we possibly can with a lot of different opportunities for our students. And I have to say, even even not having an application fee, 
yeah. um, is huge mm-hmm. for our families. I mean, yeah. yeah, students can apply for fee waivers. We can assist them in securing those fee waivers. But I think it sends a message that it's it's not just about um, the machine, you That's know, right. that there are people. And, right. you know, we're all in this profession because we love working with this age group and we we love working with um, a product, education, which we all firmly believe in passionately. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's funny you mention that. So I've actually been working at Tulane. My very first day of work at Tulane was about four weeks before Hurricane Katrina. So Amazing. I started at Tulane in 2005. So my first job was actually working for a, a closed university. And one thing that we did to kind of make sure that we weren't going to just hemorrhage applicants was we made it we made it free. We said there's no application fee. Um, please, please still apply. And it's funny, all you know, 12 years later, it, it's just it, we've 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 never returned to that application fee just because we believe in the the idea that hey, you know, if you're interested in Tulane, we're not going to charge the fee up front. Give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, if we can't admit you, if we don't have the financial aid package, but at least try. I mean, I know sometimes that can have a reverse effect because you get someone's hopes up, but we at least from the front end want to make sure that the student has the opportunity to at least give us a shot. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. This is Eric Furtid, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, and thrilled to have Jeff Shipman with us from Tulane University. J- Jeff, you, you mentioned kind of the EA with, with Eileen's question into ED2. How long have you had this, and do you have any observations t- about who will shift into ED2 and maybe something that then could help our listeners think about whether that's the right choice for them? Yeah. So this is year two of early decision at all at Tulane. We okay. actually um, we didn't have early decision. Um, actually, going back to that Katrina story I just told, we had early decision up until Katrina, and then the year the year the storm, we weren't really sure if we wanted to bind anyone to come to school that hadn't reopened yet. <laughs> so we t- we put the the pause <laughs> on that, and then as we saw, um, you know. Tulane make this tremendous recovery and, and become quite a popular school. We we thought maybe it was it was time for us to say, hey, let's give an option for students to really in, indicate that this is their top choice. Um, so this is year two with both ED1 and ED2. Um, and you know, to be frank, it's it's for students that Tulane might have risen to the top of their list a little bit later. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's students that might not have gotten into their <laughs> other school that they applied ED1, and we're we're perfectly pleased to, to give them a shot with us. Uh, and then again, it's for some students that just you know the cards fell where they did. In early action, and they've they've had a full semester uh, as a senior to kind of see where their best options are going to be, working with their school counselor, et cetera. And we want to give them that option here in January to, to really demonstrate that we're the number one choice for them. That's that's fantastic. And just to think about kind of the the reflections on something else that's happening in the world or in your community that will then impact things like policies. And even with this year, thinking about just so much of what's going on in the world. And tomorrow yep. again, thank you for being here. I mean, you literally needed to evacuate your campus at Kate School, given the wildfires out, out west. You know, I think for our listeners is everything happens within a larger ecosystem. And even with the change of testing this year as well, with the revised SAT, I think that's given some some impact into some of the choices that have been made. So these decisions don't, don't operate alone in a vacuum. Jeff, please stay on the line, but we also have a caller from, from New Jersey. Chris, do you have a question for the process? Yes, absolutely. So um, I have a question in regards to academic GPA. So... Um, you know, I'm a great. I feel like I'm a great student. I have a great work ethic in my high school. I take honors and AP classes throughout high school, but I feel like my academic GPA does not really show. You know who I am. You know how. You know how I am academically. <clears throat> um, you know I've. You know, you know like like I said, I work hard in school. I work. I work hard at school and. You know, do everything that you know Penn would like to see. But I was wondering, through great extracurricular activities to having a significant interest in Penn, um, great SAT or ACT scores, would a student like me have a chance of receiving admission to your school? Chris, thank you so much for your question, and with the, with the opportunity and benefit of having Jeff on the line, I think we could broaden this for our listeners, and it's not just Penn specifically, but also the college application process overall. Jeff, within your own process, we all speak about holistic admissions, and Chris's question was straightforward about academic performance in high school, 
and you know, just given that we want to approach this in a very open way, you know, I'll first start off by saying, well, it really does depend on what that trajectory looks like within the transcript, and everything is relative. You need to do your better work heading into your heading into your senior year. But Jeff, what do you think about even that, that ninth grade year? Maybe a student's making a transition in and you're seeing maybe more B's than A's. And how do you try to balance that at Tulane? I train the, the team here at Tulane to, to really pay attention to that additional information section on the common application. Mm-hmm. And that is the chance for any student to say, hey, here is why I'm more than meets the eye. The, the additional information section, I believe, is the perfect time to say, without any, you know, um, flowery explanation legitimately say this is why my grades are the way they are or this is why my grade trends appear the way they do and that's where students are saying you know maybe there was a, a tough family situation that arose in their sophomore year we want to know about these things um, it doesn't have to be stated in an overly dramatic way but I think the additional information section is the perfect way to clearly and, and non-dramatically state hey there's there's a story I need to tell you and you would know that story just by looking at the A's and B's and C's on my transcript um, so we really do read that additional information section and then we also look at the the school uh, the school counselor's recommendation letter um, so what are they saying well, wh- wh- why is why is the student more than meets the eye um, we we do pride ourselves at Tulane in taking a, a really holistic review process to this so I want to thank Chris for calling in and for being really courageous and voicing a question or posing a question that's on the minds of a lot of students uh, so many people have that question and yet are reluctant to ask it so kudos to you Chris for for calling in and asking something from your heart and and Jeff I couldn't agree with you more with regards to the additional information section on the on the application you know it was funny we had our friend in from common app in the last show was that just the last show it was. and we all learned something new that you could customize the additional information section which we and, never knew and we <laughs> I didn't know. okay I, I did not know that, well, did not know that. Yeah, right? we did not know None that and you know what that's awesome um, I think it it calls upon the student to take the initiative certainly to consult with their counselor and and I think it's great Jeff also that you you mentioned the counselor letter we put our heart and souls in those letters Um, so I'm so relieved to hear that they're falling on receptive ears and one of the things I was thinking I'm sorry one of the things I was thinking about with with what Chris uh, called in about was um, you know you talked about he's a hard worker and um, you know don't know exactly what those grades mean but um, sometimes depending on your high school maybe you don't have a counselor that knows you super well and can talk um, to your strengths, but um, that's where your teacher recs can really make a difference. And often students think I have to go for the teacher who gave me an A. Um, but really talking about that work ethic and a teacher and a teacher who's seen you grow and maybe how you've persevered through some challenges and really can add some real context and, and texture to uh, talking about your academic preparation would be really welcomed. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. I think students often get teacher recs from people who maybe don't have enough to say about them, but really someone who can talk about how you've overcome things, how you've worked toward um, overcoming challenges is really, really helpful. And I think that that's something that college admission people really appreciate. That's something that they maybe can't get from you. It's hard for a student to say that uh, in their application, but that really can be, um, that message can be made stronger from a teacher who you've worked with. Jeff, well, thank you. It's so you. funny that I, I have to say because I actually, Tamara and I know each other pretty well. And, um, but we um, we just talked like a week and a half ago over the phone about a couple of her applicants. And there is one line that she had written about one of her students in one of her letters of recommendation that really struck a chord with me. And it put the whole application into perspective to me. And it, it allowed me to look much more past um, her grades to kind of see. And, and Tamara had said something that was just like, you know, it made me. Wait, give Jeff, you're calling me Tamara? Oh, wait, Tamara. <laughs> he's on the radio he's nervous yeah. <laughs> so it was it was one of those things where i could i could really look into that application and and you know that helps so when you say do we look at these um these letters of recognition we do we absolutely do jeff thank you so much for joining the show today and love to have you back and you could also check out jeff's blog uh, what, what is your blog jeff uh it's actually the easiest way to find it is just google tulane blog and it's the first thing that'll come up that's fantastic. And, and Jeff, I want to take a spin class with you. <laughs> Come down to New Orleans and take my spin class. I will. <laughs> well, thanks again, Jeff. We need to take a short break, but stay with us. When we're back, we'll continue our conversation here in the studio at Sirius XM in New York City. We'll discuss financial aid options as well as the early process and also strategies if you're a sophomore or junior thinking about just starting to look at colleges. I'm Eric Ferda. You're listening to The Process on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to The Process on Business Radio, offering insight and guidance into the college admissions process. Here again is University of Pennsylvania Dean of Admissions, Eric J. Ferda. Welcome back. This is The Process on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Give us a call, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, or on Twitter, at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 111. We are live from the Sirius XM headquarters here in New York, C- New York City. Tis the season, I wanted to say, and here I am with... With my partner in the process, Eileen Cunningham-Fikens from the Dwight Englewood School. And we also have David Charlo from Access Applied, a financial aid, aid expert who's a regular guest on the show. And our very special friend, Tamar Adigbele. I'm sorry, now I got nervous from Jeff before. I knew I was going to do that. Tamar is the Director of College Counseling at the Kate School near Santa Barbara. And I'd really like to start off with you, Tamar in the second half of the show to think about how you bring families through the process, particularly around deadlines that are in the month of November, but then also as they're receiving decisions mid-December, and then how you try to help counsel them. And especially with what we said before, you're counseling from afar at this point, not only because of the time of the year, but then also what's going on out west with the wildfire. So some of your families needed to leave the campus a bit earlier with your trimester. So how are you helping families, and what's your philosophy as you approach the process? And we try to start really early um, and, you know, start with a plan that begins really when school resumes in the beginning of of senior year. So, uh, you know, we it's hard to get students and even for counselors to focus on anything beyond that first deadline. Right. Because that comes up so quickly and it just seems like the time between September and November is like a blink, uh, a blink of an eye. But we really have students think about, okay, you've poured a lot of time, maybe even over the summer, and thinking about your Common App essay, um, but really to think about those supplements. And that's something that we really try to impress upon students. They spend so much time over the summer working on their Common App, but then they kind of maybe phone it in on the supplements, which I think, uh, you know, they're really focused on that first maybe early decision or early action one. But then they've got eight to do in a short amount of time. And they're rushing through it. And so we really sort of try to talk to them in September about, you know what, chipping away at it Mm -hmm. steadily so that you're not spending uh, one week trying to complete eight applications. You want to give those as much attention as you're giving that first initial application. And um, what the feedback that I've received from colleges is that, you know what, we know kids spend a lot of time on that major Common App essay, but... But our supplement is really speaking right. to our institution, and we put a lot of emphasis on that, and we're really looking at how students approach that part of the application. And I think sometimes that's lost on students, that they really need to spend a good amount of time doing a great job on those supplements. So to start early and not after they receive initial decision is really the way to go. And I think And do they thing, listen to that advice as well? You know, some do. <laughs> I mean, I have some students who were done um, before we left campus, which I was really impressed with. And I had a good number of those, I think, more than I've had in previous years. So maybe the message uh, is starting to get across or they're hearing it from other sources besides I hope it's getting across. our office. But yeah. yeah, we had a number of students who were just really great about chipping away. They call it good karma. You know, if you if you do it, and you do a good job and then right. you, you hope for the best. Maybe you won't need them, but at least, you know, you've done uh, you've put the time in that you, you need to do a good job. And I think that the real work that goes into those essays isn't necessarily writing them as much as it is researching and really doing some hard thinking about why you want that particular school. And I have heard from colleges, you know, the essay, the supplemental, I just didn't get the feel that they really knew who we were as an institution. And so I don't think you can use a template. Right. For that, I don't. I, you know, you oh. said phone it in, yeah. right? You can't phone that one in. I, it's I a know. lot of wait lists then. It differs from this side of the desk. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny. I always say to my students that my favorite F word, and then that gets their attention, is front load, because I want all of those applications done before they get their news from their early school. We all know that's not going to happen because they're seventeen and eighteen years old. But many of them, because there's been such an emphasis on early pools, whether it's early decision or early action. Tamar, maybe you can speak to this, but I would say probably 60, 50 to 60 percent of my students are at least are applying to a school under a binding early decision, but over 95 percent of them are applying for early action. So uh, that kind of front yeah. loads the whole process because they have to get those applications yeah. in by November. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the trend we've seen about 90 percent of 
application. Someone is, everyone has submitted an application, 90% of the class by November 1, November yeah. 15th. So. Yeah. And that's fantastic that they have the good advice, you know, from you and thinking about this whole process and just sharing this information for our listeners. So we have three calls coming through right now. So I'm going to shift over for a second and see how many we can get to. Sadiq from New York, you have a question for the process? I do. How are you guys? Doing very well. Thank hey, you. Hey, Sadiq. Uh, Hi. Um, so, you know, the, the, the question I have is there are, there are so many applications coming into colleges and universities nowadays, you know, thousands um, with so few spots to fill. How is the process managed? How, you know, how objective is the actual admissions process, um, given that, you know, in some cases it's several thousand applications for you know, just a handful of spots within the university. How do you how do you sift through that? Sadiq, thank you for that question, and I think we could all cover this in some level. And I think you really get to the heart of of the whole human side of the application process. When I travel a great deal for for the University of Pennsylvania. And when you're in other systems, quite honestly, it is that test, that one test that may get a student admitted or not and into a particular type of program. The American higher education landscape is obviously much different than that. While we have our objective measures like grade point averages and test scores, then as we were discussing before, the letters of recommendation, what students put into their essays. But I'll get to the heart of it because I think you've heard answers like that before. And that is how do you balance that difference between objective and subjective? And because what usually that means is that you can't predict the outcomes of the decisions. And I think that's what's frustrating to families, to to listeners to the show. So looking from the college counseling side and David from the people that you work with, what are some of your thoughts on this? And Sadiq, thank you for the call. I mean, I think it's it's a matter now because it's so competitive. Is, is the student an appropriate applicant or not? And once you're an appropriate applicant, then... You do the best job you can on your application, understanding just what you said. It's objective by the numbers. You're appropriate. And then it's who you are. It's the subjective side. And you can't take it personally. Yeah, you certainly can't take it personally. You're still the same phenomenal kid you were the day before you get a letter as you are the day after you get a decision letter. But here's the here's the really tough thing, right? Sadiq, you totally hit the nail on the head. How the hell are you supposed to figure out as an applicant what's going to make you shine? If you have the great privilege of working with a counselor like Tamar sitting next to me, we've been on both sides of the desk. So we can, we can at least give some advice about um, what not to do. Um, not to be redundant in your application, to use each aspect of your application to reflect how wonderful you are in a multifaceted way. But you have to know who you're applying to as well. And you have to structure that list so that you've got coverage. And I think that's crucial in this process. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add to that, but I would just say, um, you know, while it seems like it's a big mystery, I do trust the process. I know that there are people on the other side receiving those applications and really um, looking for reasons to admit. I think often people are saying, oh, well, will they ding me for this or will they ding me for that? I think you have to go into it knowing that you've put your best foot forward and then trust that, you know, the a university or college, when you have a balanced list, will um, you'll, you'll have some positive news in the end. And it may not be the exact news you want at the exact time. Sometimes it means a defer in hearing that better news, you know, that news later on. Um, but I do, you know, really want to emphasize the fact that there are people, you know, who are who are taking this process seriously and who are taking the time to really read thoroughly all the things that you're submitting to the application. There's a humanity to it. Yeah, definitely. There, 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 there absolutely is. And I think in so many ways, you just don't want this to be formulaic. We have another call, Tony from New Jersey. And Tony, also, thank you for reaching out to me on LinkedIn as well. You have a question. Uh, yeah, I do. First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, big fan of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very awesome. Much. Um, so yeah, my uh, my question is about transfer applicants and uh, you know where do they fit in in the minds of admissions counselors throughout the process overall, and uh, as well, does anything change for your non traditional student in terms of uh, what they want to highlight for themselves on their applications and how they want to position themselves in making their case for admissions? to a particular school as transfer applicants. 
Tony, thanks for the question. I think it's one that a lot of our listeners are interested in because the reality is probably about two-thirds of the college market is not what we would call, quote-unquote, traditional, meaning a student applying right out of high school into into a four-year college, let's say. At the University of Pennsylvania, we have a transfer applicant pool of about 2,000 applications, and we enroll about 160 students a year through that transfer process. And Penn also has a school called Liberal and Professional Studies, which here we're sitting in New York City. Columbia University has a great program. NYU has a great extension program. So I do think highlighting these different paths are really important. So, Tony, thanks for the question. And I'm going to look to our college counselors here because you may hear from families afterwards saying, okay, we went through this once and now we know ourselves a bit differently. Um, it's interesting, you know, I, I don't know if Eric remembers, but when I was at Columbia, I used to actually work with the transfer uh, pool that came through. And so, um, and and back then we had very few spots. It was super, super competitive. And, um, you know, financial aid was different for transfer students. There were just a lot of things that maybe didn't make the process a lot easier. And, and um now, having been on the college counseling side for about 17 years, I've definitely seen an increase in the number of successful transfer uh, applications. And I feel like financial aid is now available for transfer students in a way that it wasn't in the past. And uh, colleges like, you know, I think you know really what you want out of college when you get there, right? So a lot of high school students, they thought they wanted this. And then when they get there, whoa, I think I'm really better suited for a different kind of institution. And I feel when they're able to really articulate that, and sometimes they're better a year after they graduate from high school, uh, colleges seem to be responding really well to that. So I definitely would say um, the transfer process is definitely a route. And, you know, it's good to keep in the back of your mind that if maybe things don't work out or you get someplace and you find that it's not the right fit, there isn't another shot at another slew of schools. And there's no, like, there's no stigma with that. There's no shame with that. I give so much credit to students who understand that the fit isn't what they expected it to be and they not only have the courage to go forward as a transfer applicant but actually have the the self-discipline to do it while they're at another institution that's right so you know i think it's phenomenal um when i was on the admissions side of the desk i worked with the transfer population both for nyu and for barnard and i think it the, the population of transfer applicants is very different. They're, they're seasoned. Um, they've been through it before. They many of many times students might use that first year um, at another institution to to to, to try it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like to try out. Okay, like I thought I wanted to be a psych major, but you know what? Not uh, yeah, no, not really. Um, and so I think those institutions that are accepting transfer students are getting a really great client who has a much more sophisticated knowledge of who they are as an applicant and what they want to do. So I always tell my students, it's not it's not where you start. It's how you finish. That's right. And what can you use as a stepping stone to get to that point? You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Our number is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Live from Studio One here in New York City at Sirius XM Radio. And David, I'd like to get into the mix of how financial aid comes in. And Tamara and Eileen, just really thinking about this dynamic of affordability. We've been talking through the whole show about different different plans within the college application process, early action, early decision, ED2 rounds, regular decision. Affordability is a big piece for all for most families, the vast majority of families. So, David, how do you see this playing in with the conversations that you have and Tamara and Eileen, the same from your side of the desk? Sure. Just to follow up on the thread we started a few minutes ago, I, I think that the transparency, the improving transparency, and it's not true at all schools, but at many, and certainly at the, the more selective schools that, that, are, that are generally very generous, it's much easier now for a student and, and parents to calculate a net price estimate what it's actually going to cost, which makes diving into the early decision pool, or now perhaps the early decision two pool, much easier. Mm-hmm. Because you know, mm-hmm. you know there, there's, this, there's this perception of early decision that you're locked in, and of course, always you weren't locked in if you couldn't afford it. That was always, always has been the out, still is. Doesn't happen very often. Happens less now because students can go in with, with, with their eyes open. So I think it's, it's really important to do your homework, and it's not too late for students who are now in that transition between being deferred or perhaps denied early or even being admitted um, early action to what they're going to do in January. They can still 
look at their list, still figure out affordability issues and make a more informed decision. Absolutely. And also, there's that concurrent search, right? And that's for scholarships, outside scholarships. I just got an email this morning from a mom whose child was admitted under a binding early decision plan, and that child is now applying for scholarships um, as well as the college applications. It's a lot to take on for some kids and for some families, but there are wonderful resources out there. You got to look for them. You got to work for them. Yeah, yeah, those scholarships are, are it's labor intensive. It is, it is it very totally labor intensive labor to apply intensive. For, for outside scholarships. But I, I have something called a 50 hour rule. I, I, I use this with my son. Tell us about that. I said, if you spend 50 hours applying for outside scholarships and you get one $1,000 scholarship that's not even renewable, you just made 20 bucks an hour. If it's renewable for four years, I love that. I'm stealing. You made 80 it. bucks an hour. Yeah. It's, it's a pain in the butt to apply for outside scholarships. It is. It's actually part of the process. Are there prepared. ones that are worth the time and investment? I, mean, I think they're all worth they're the time and investment. It. It, it, the process is worth it. And it's a great place for parents to help, actually. They can help you do the research. And there's and, some great search engines, you know, yeah. like fastweb.com. Yeah, there, there right? are many, many search engines, and they're all they're all free. Some of them will, yep. will hit you with, with ads, but they're, they're all free. They're all reliable. Well, actually, I do want to say if a, of an organization asks for a fee to help you find a scholarship... Yeah. Hit delete. Yeah, and you it, don't it, it want doesn't that happen so much anymore because there's been so much been pressure by the increase. Federal Trade Commission. Yeah. It's this, so it, it, that doesn't happen so much anymore. But right now that you can go out there and find lots of opportunities. If you're willing to, to work and put in the effort, you, you, you may well get a few thousand dollars. And it may be the difference between affording a college and not affording a college. Sure. Yeah. And there are a lot of schools out there that give money, right? So, yes. you know, we, we tend to focus. And, of course, we got Penn here that is need-based, and there are a lot of schools in, in that uh, group. But there are a lot of schools that offer great merit scholarships, and, and, you know, those range and can be based on, sub you know, SAT scores or ACT scores or GPAs or talent-based or, um, you know, community service or, or other activities. So definitely it's important conversation for parents and students to have about, you know, the financial part of the process too, not just the admission part, and to have a list that, you know, reflects that. So if financially right. it's going to be uh, a factor uh, in the in the end result, then it's important to sort of have a list that reflects that as well. Absolutely. I, I think that's an, an, an excellent point because there is a trend away from need-based aid and towards non-need-based aid. So in, in creating that list, and, and you've all talked about having a list that's, that makes sense, that, that gives you options, having the financial safeties or targets and opening yourself up, falling, maybe escaping the brand trap, if you will, and applying to some schools that are just as good but not as sexy will increase your chance at a larger, sure. a larger merit or non-need-based scholarship, a larger discount, so you have to pay less. Yeah, especially if you know what those uh, institutions are looking at in terms of the overall um, admit pool and what the range is for testing and what the range is for GPA, you can help stratify your list so that you can include schools where you're going to be a, a, a little bit more of a shining star. That's right. And I'm totally for that for my, my families. Yeah, I think that it's the financial aid statistics that are publicly available – are mostly useful, if not harm, or useless, if not harmful. But there, you can get the percentage of students receiving merit scholarships. Yes, and that's key because that goes all the way up to ninety percent for a lot of schools. Sure, it might be five or zero for the Ivy League, but there's lots of schools that give twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty percent of their students a discount that's not based upon family financial need, and it's critical to know that because then you know what your chances are in that pool. Sure. Unfortunately, our time is, is running down. This has no. been a special, I know, but this is a special edition of the process. Eileen, our seventh show. Dana Cash, our seventh show. Jake, to have you with us today. Emily, thank you here at Sirius XM Radio, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And if you want to continue the conversation, our email address is businessradio at SiriusXM.com, Twitter, bizradio111. And please follow my blog, page 217.org and Twitter under the handle of at Dean Ferda. I'd like to thank Eileen and Tamar for making the trip from the West Coast and taking a flight back this evening. You interrupted your travel plans to be able to be here, so yes, thank you thank so you. much. Well, it's been a pleasure. I'm really, really happy to be with you guys. David, as great always. Great to have you back. It's always great to be here. Yeah. Everybody have a great holiday. Happy holidays, Happy everyone. holidays and a safe new year. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.